podcast is brought to you by Danny Antman, the author of a new book entitled Wired for God, Adventures of a Jewish Yogi. Please listen to podcast number 655 with Danny Antman and Greg as they discuss her new book, Wired for God, about her personal spiritual journey and awakening. Danny tells a very compelling story for the reader about being Jewish by birth, but having the yearning to learn more about yogic science, kundalini science, and the Kabbalah. From her birthplace in New York, to her encounters with a channeler, to her travels in India. Learn more about the science of the kundalini and how the process will transform the reader's desire to want to learn more about their own spirituality. I hope you enjoy podcast number 655 with author Danny Antman. If you want to learn more, please visit the book website at www.wiredforgod.com. Thanks for listening. Welcome back to Inside Personal Growth. This is Greg Voison. I'm the host of Inside Personal Growth. And as I was speaking with Rodney Smith here, our author, uh, I've been doing this 11 years now and coming up on 650 podcasts. And Rodney, as I tell everybody every time I do one of these shows, um, without them, um, I couldn't be who I am today. And I thank every one of you who takes the time to listen to the words of wisdom from our authors. And today, uh, joining us, he said, from rainy Seattle, so it's living up to its uh, reputation, uh, is Rodney Smith. And Rodney is the author of many other books as well. But this new book is called Touching the Infinite, A New Perspective on the Buddha's Four Foundations of Mindfulness. Good day to you, Rodney. How are you? I'm fine. Thank you for having me. Well, we appreciate you being on on the show. And this obviously is a book for people who are looking uh, to take, I would call it a deeper dive into mindfulness. I'm going to let them know just a tad bit about you, Rodney. Uh, Rodney has recently retired as a guiding teacher for the Insight Meditation Society uh, and from the Seattle Insight Meditation Society, which is founded in 93. He's the author of Lessons from Dying, Stepping Out of Self-Deception, The the Buddha's Liberating Teachings of No Self, and Awakening a Paradigm Shift of the Heart. So any of those books you can look up on Amazon. You can also look this one up on Amazon called Touching the Infinite. We will put a link to Amazon on the the, uh, blog itself. And any other links that we get from Rodney that uh, you could reach out to him for. Now, Rodney, in this first chapter of your book, I love how you do this. Um, And I use this analogy myself many times. You speak about looking behind the curtain of a theater production to see how the play is actually being developed, right? And you liken this analogy Uh, by mentioning that the spiritual journey is like looking behind the scene of a play. Right. Why is it that we as human beings and souls on this planet have such a tough time lifting the veil of the curtain and very seldom look at the unconscious part of our own drama? Well, it's a, it's really a key question. Uh, Let's just uh, look at what and how most of us use our time. We use it externally. Uh, we use it to uh, to actualize the objects and and to um, memorize and to l- learn about the situations we're in. We bring our past 
to the present, but we're not so interested in how all of that mechanism works. We're interested in reconfirming basically our the world as we have known it and have lived it and have been conditioned to believe in it. So we haven't been taught really how to ask questions that look behind the stage, look behind the uh, curtain to see what is really there. And it's not until we get sort of disenchanted with the objects, with the pursuits, with the uh, realm of pleasure and the pursuit of our own self-imaging that we this discouragement somehow allows us to ask different questions. And what's going on here? Who am I? What's this world about? Uh, why is there so much conflict in the world? Uh, that sort, those sort of questions begin to have us peek behind that curtain. But until we become disenchanted, most of us aren't willing to ask those questions because it's too satisfying to stay out in front. Mm -hmm. I'd agree. I think that there's a lot of stimulation, though. And when you're in form, as you talk about in the book, right. um, you're constantly being stimulated by these external um, things that are attracting you or yes. they're, they're taking up your time. And it, it's hard for people. Um, it, it's almost like an addiction they have. There's a, there's a, there's a, an emotional addiction to it. There's yes. a physical addiction to it. But you mentioned that this, this new continuum uh, from form to form less is part yes. of the spiritual journey. And, yes. I, and I, you know, this is a, it's a, it's a, it's a good concept. It's a, it's a deep concept. It's one I talk about a lot. But you said that from suffering to the cessation of suffering, that Buddha spoke that we only taught, that he only taught one thing, yeah. suffering mm -hmm. and its cessation. Right. You then go on to state that there's an overarching reason for him pairing his teaching to this single phrase. Yes. What is that overarching reason in your estimation that the Buddha said, hey, this is about one thing, suffering and its cessation? Well, I think we're too easily enamored by, by other distractions. So he tried to keep us on the point. And uh, what, what he did was uh, he framed our lives and our experience, uh, not that there aren't many moments of pleasure and joy there are and we all concede that point but that behind there there's so much angst there's so much um contraction within us that we miss that and we try to overplay the positive and we undervalue or underrepresent the contracted spirit that most of us live within and to keep us on point because those that area of contraction is really what holds uh, much of what we are unwilling to look at. So if we stay with the fact that there is contraction in this moment, what's going on, that question of what's going on shows us what we are, how we have motivated and how we have managed the moment uh, unconsciously. And it's within that unconsciousness, the exploration of it, that we can begin to see our way out of it. So he, he emphasizes suffering not to be, uh, you know, maldon or uh, discouraging or despairing, but rather to keep showing us that no matter what joy we might be having, 
if we hold on to that joy, there's a contracted spirit there, and that contracted spirit shows us a message and a learning about life that we can move forward and and grow out of. Hmm. So this contracted, you call it contracted spirit? Is that what you yes. said? Yeah. Um, so on the opposite side of the coin, Rodney, would be expansion. I always look at contraction yes. and expansion. Yes, yes, yes. How would you address, if this, if this is contracted spirit, how do you help people through your teachings of mindfulness yes. open up to the oneness of everything and the expansion yes. of right. living more in that moment and taking this all in? I mean, hey, look, if we're in the middle of suffering, it's our choice to suffer, right? Yes, yes. So, but often so unconsciously. Unconscious. I'm, I'm yes, guarantee right. you that it's unconscious yes. because it's right. about resistance, right. right? So when we can let go of that resistance, we can also get more into what the learning of the suffering is about. Right, absolutely. Right? Yes. So how would you help my listeners find a path toward expansion yes. versus contraction of that spiritualness? Well, that's really the four foundations of mindfulness. That is what, when I started reading it and giving talks about it, I began to realize that the path forward here was well-written and well-described within those four foundations, because that's exactly what he does. He takes us from the sense of our body, the most personalized object we know, sort of the, the area that we most personalize, myself, my body, and he begins exploring that. And mm-hmm. the way he explores that is he begins to open it up beyond the concepts that we have uh, engendered into this, this form called body. Right. And, right. And, he, and he does that through meditation. He does that through actually looking at the body, not to what we conceptually believe it to be, but what is it, the actual experience of the body as we experience, first, experience it firsthand. And he says in a key passage, he says, do this without knowledge or remembrance. Because what we keep doing to a situation that makes it the same, that makes the world conform to our expectations, is that we bring memory and uh, knowledge to every moment that we perceive. And this keeps it within the lines of our contraction. If If every time we see something, we bring our knowledge and remembrance to what we see, then it can only be what we see, and we have a very tight relationship with right. it, a very narrowed. So it yeah. becomes very narrow. Yes. Well, you, you, you say in the book uh, that the first foundation is the base camp of the body. So you yes. say the awakening is most often experienced as an incremental process where we wake up slowly to the deeply entrenched patterns of our denials areas of blindness and self-images. What suggestions would you have for our listeners um, about becoming more aware and conscious of their own personal spiritual awakening that moves them out of body? Okay, so uh, another key question you're asking. Uh, The first thing is we have to realize that it's not moving to another location. We don't have to go to the to India right. or we don't physically have to go in. We don't have to but we have to change our perception of what or how we hold life. We have to look at it differently. Mm-hmm. Now we're not gonna 
be able to force ourselves to look at life differently because because the mechanisms of the mind hold life only to what we have known it to be. That's what the mind does. It's a conditioned reference so that when we look through the mind, which we all do, we see exactly what we expect to see and we have determined to see. So there is an aspect of spirituality or it wouldn't there would be no journey at all that is free of the mental contaminants of that conditioning and that's awareness so the movement toward the spirit is the disenchantment of the conditioned way we live where we just see that it just holds us to the sameness of life there's no mm-hmm. mystery there there's no expanse into the open embrace of a different perception of life, which is what I will call awareness in this moment. We become it, it more is, aware. And it, and it is beca- little by little, slowly, yes. one step at a time, incrementally yes. wake up to this new level of consciousness yes, that's that right. is so important for us to do. And I think, exactly. I think, you know, if people think, hey, look, I'm going to go do some ayahuasca or I'm going to go out yeah. to Burning Man or I'm going to go right. uh, take a, a micro dose of LSD to have this altered state of consciousness and awareness. Those are momentary. The only way to right. grow this is through deep commitment, in my estimation, deep yes. commitment to a practice of mindfulness and meditation. And meditation does awaken us to this. Now, one of the things that everybody, I would think, that's, uh, let's say, and you're in my age category, and there's a lot mm-hmm. of those listeners here. I'm 63 years old. So you speak about this first foundation, and you have a chapter on aging and death. Yes. Um, that Buddha encourages us to go to carnal grounds and confront death in a personal manner as possible. Yes. How would you, Rodney, uh, speak to our listeners to become more aware of death and embrace the concept. I think in one of your chapters, you said it's take your most prized possession and drop it. And that's, and it it breaks. And that's really what death is. Um, I thought that was an interesting analogy. I'm not certain a hundred percent agree with that, but my point is, is I get what you're, you're, you're trying to make overstate something there. Right. Um, Right. So how do you awaken people to this? Well, first of all, the point of death is to show the limitation of form. It's another f- expression of the disenchantment we have with objects and the and the personal object called I. We don't think about our demise. We don't think about our ending. You know, we think about health and well-being and all of that. Vitality and if stay yeah, young forever. Yeah. And, you know, I think yeah. everybody believes they're going to be young forever and the body is right. going to keep doing what it's going to do. But it doesn't do that. No, and and that's a form of being unconscious to the fact or the reality of what of what our body really is. Our body mm. is a limitation as well as an a beautiful object for the movement and and functionality of the world, but it's also a limitation and the one of the limitations is it gets sick, gets old and it dies. Mm-hmm. And so as we start approaching this subject, it's from that perspective to start seeing and accommodating and becoming conscious of not only the value but the limitations of of that of all objects so there's a natural sense that when we see things truly for what they are their limitations as well as their value then there is a 
a divestment from the uh, from the objects of the world. And where the energy of that divestment goes is towards awareness, because there's only two things it can go to. It can go to the whole, or it can go to the part. If it goes to the part, it goes to objects. If it goes to the whole, it goes to awareness. And so that energy, once it's divested from the part, goes to the whole. And that's what the point of of reflection and uh, and inquiry into death is all about. Well, how would you help a one who maybe is listening here and going, okay, I heard Rodney's words, but I'm still yeah. afraid of death. Yeah, sure. Um, so, so obviously the mental construct of fear around death is, oh, is pretty big, right? Huge. Yes. It's, it's for everybody because it's yeah. like, well, I'm ending and I don't know how many of my listeners out there right now believe in reincarnation or well, it doesn't matter. It, what right. matters is how you perceive this thing called death. What yeah. would you do to help them overcome death? Even if they believe they went in a box and the worms ate them, right? No, it's a, it's another very good question. In fact, I wrote a whole book on that topic. And, uh, and uh, it's because of the number of years that I worked in hospice care that I'm able to speak about it from a practical experience of it. First of all, you don't want to rush into the topic. There's a natural timing for one to get involved in it. Mm-hmm. And and when you're when you're um, when you approach it from a sense of curiosity, interest, I wonder what this is. What's going on here? I certainly see my limitations around this subject. Then you start looking at life. Let's start looking at life from the ending point of view. Mm-hmm. So you notice it's fall and leaves are falling. You notice that you know that the that the world is changing. That the weather patterns are changing. That things around you have a birth and have a, a a vitality in their youth and then have an aging process and a death and this is something that's going around everywhere we are it's within our sight to start just acknowledging so it's from this very simple acknowledgement of what we're always seeing but not really uh, owning that this subject of death starts being revealed then if you feel if you continue to feel interested in the subject and drawn towards it then there are things that you can do specifically around one's own aging seeing your own limitation looking at albums when you were small and young and now you're not and and the aches and pains of what your body is going through and that sort of thing as well as you know volunteering for uh, uh hospices or places that show you up close and very personally the fact of what our body is going to be eventually evolving into. But normally isn't the process that you that you found, obviously having written books on this and worked in hospice, um, it, it's, you just talked about expansion and contraction. Usually yes. within the mind and the body, death becomes a contracting experience. Yeah, um, for a while. At least that's what it seems like until yes. people can overcome the fear. I'm saying yes. they're in fear, they're in contraction. Yes. When they're but, in but you see, yeah, when they're in joy they, and abundance, they're in when they're in joy and happiness and whatever, they're in expansion. Yes. But I, I I think that is a normal human reaction to knowing that one's dying is expansion and going inward and and being afraid yes yes well 
you see, I, I'm not afraid of contraction because I know that once I learn about the nature of why I'm contracting, I begin to expand. Mm-hmm. So I find expansion within contraction. That is, okay. at first, death is a very contracting subject because it's me. You know, it's a very personal subject, and there isn't anything that I'm more afraid of than my own demise. Right. But as I start going into this, I start seeing that there's some preciousness about death. It makes the moment more precious. It makes life more vital. It wakes me up to not the forever of time, which is when I deny death, there's a forever of time, but the momentary beauty of what's here now because I don't have a lot of time left. Now I'm beginning to expand beyond that fear of what death held. So for me... Fear holds a cue to go into it so that I can find the expansion that all fears contain. That's, that's a very good point and, I, and uh, well taken, by the way. And I think it's something that, you know, even, you know, me and my listeners, you need to understand that uh, what Rodney is saying is walk into it um, and then uh, expand as a result of it. Don't contract. And that brings me to this chapter on mental boundaries, because look, at yes. a lot of this is mental um, uh, gyration that we're doing here with what's going on with inside a mind, which is the most powerful thing that we have. And you mentioned to correct the misunderstanding of form and formless, we must thoroughly understand that form is in order to dispel the idea that improvement improvement is necessary. Yes. And that is the point of the first foundation of mindfulness. Can you help the listeners clarify the concept of form and formless and why improvement is not in it? And if I'm reading this right, not necessary in our minds. Okay. It's not, it's not, it's not a spiritual necessity. Again, Improvement, self-improvement is beautiful. I, you know, we've all lived that life of self-improvement. In fact, mm-hmm. the more self the kinder, the, you know, the more expansive you are, the more inclusive you are, the less prejudiced you are. And so I'm in no way deriding those beautiful qualities of self-improvement. It's just that it holds it to me, to what I'm doing. And the sense of I spiritually is is an obscuration of the truth. It's a, it is a denial of something that death was leading us to conclude, and that is, what is this sense of me? Who is dying? What is dying? And when that is understood, when we see that what we thought we were, we're not, then the sense of the solidity of I begins to dissolve. Now, it doesn't dissolve. It's not... So that we're suddenly homogenized. Does the the ego really ever let go versus just the soul? In other words, look, much of this would be from a psychological standpoint and all the psychologists that have written on this around ego and Freud and all that would say, oh yeah, that's got a really strong hold on us. And I think to to become egoless, um, to... um, don't be attached to anything. These are many of the Buddhist teachings, correct? Right. Um, it, easier said than done in the yes, world. Yes, absolutely. Then, right? That's Yes. <laughs> I, I, I don't like, you know, simple answers to this. These are very, very deep uh, concerning questions. 
And it's not that we're trying to get rid of the ego. There's nothing wrong with it. It's functional when you're right. when you need to know how to navigate the world. You know. Yeah, and it can help us. You know, and it, it, it does help us. Yes, I go. I want to know that that is a doorknob and it leads out of the room, and that right. takes my knowledge and the sense of me, etc. Or the train is coming and we better get out of the way, right? That's yeah, exactly that. right. Exactly. So this yeah. is so whatever I'm saying now is in addition to the beauty of what the ego uh, allows. Okay. When you only know yourself as separate, you have no other options but then to invite a kind of contracted spirit in everything. I like you. I don't like you. This I like. I love this. I'm. This is... Each pleasure and pain provides a kind of contraction or expansion, but it's, it, it wears on you to live at the expense of our knowledge and memory about something. Mm-hmm. And that's all ego-defined. It's the content of our lives, the emotional element that uh, is conditioned into every object, into every person. All of that... It, that contraction and expansion that goes on endlessly throughout the day wears on us or wears on many of us. But Rodney, yeah. hasn't it created the construct for, you, you talk about form formless. I'm just going to move the word yeah. around. It right. creates a construct uh, yes. for the world in which we live. I mean, that's what you said in the first chapter, really. Yes, that's look, right. We, we're not willing to lift this veil and really look at the unconscious part of this drama we're living. So right. when you do lift that veil, you actually do see that ego at work. And when you are aware of that, you can go into this formless state pretty much and release that from being the guiding factor in that, your life. Perfect. For most of that's your exactly it. You said it better than I. Yeah. Abs- yeah. That's exactly it. When you're held to only the concept of I, me, and mine, uh-huh. there's no outlet. There's no way to live beyond that. So that's form consciousness. That's living with the objects of the world as being meaningful in themselves and with me being meaningful in and of myself. And so then the world of self-improvement, I mean, all the whole world is about self-involvement, self-consciousness. Well, that doesn't really allow other people to come into that life. I mean, there's no connection there. The sacred is a different frame of reference. The sacred is from a different perception than self-improvement. So I'm not denying the beauty of self-improvement. I'm saying that if we want to know what the sacred is, we have to move beyond that automatic liking and disliking that we compel upon the world. Yeah, no, it's, it's very clear to me. And I hope for my listeners, you're not only will you get this book, but that you'll pick this book up and read it and even if you may find some of this content a bit confusing, uh, move through it and and get the most essence out of it because it really does have a lot of profound realizations for you to make some big changes in your life. Now, in the second foundation, the story of feelings, you start the chapter with a quote from the Buddha. You, and this, I want to get this right. There is the unborn the uncreated, the unconditioned, the unformed, were it not for the unborn, unconditioned, and unformed, there would be no escape from the world of the born, the created, the conditioned, and the formed. 
it, there's a lot going on in that statement. Yes. <laughs> um, what is Buddha really trying to say to us? I get the, I almost get the yin and the yang here, right? It's like, yeah. okay, yeah. on one side, we couldn't have one without the other. Another, right. another Buddhist and Zen concept, really. Um, right. So g- give us kind of Rodney's yeah. quick and dirty on what that's supposed to say. Well, it's, it's beautiful. It does two things. One is it initiates the idea that there's something beyond conditioning because mostly only the mind knows conditioning. It knows reflexes. It knows reactions. It knows what, it, what m- memory it brings to the present moment. But in here, this is here the Buddha says there would be no escape from that conditioning pattern if there wasn't something that completely extinguishes those conditions. So when we get frustrated by the conditions or by our reactive patterns or by the, our self assumptions or whatever it is that's, that's been conditioned in us to believe, we can do a partial extinguishment through therapy or through other expressions, but total extinguishment comes from bearing that particular conditioned experience to the unconditioned. Mm-hmm. So the, the unconditioned is simply awareness. Right. And all of mindfulness has to do with varying degrees of bringing awareness to what the mind is doing. So we're bringing various degrees of the unconditioned to the conditioned way we look at the world and that's ultimately the healing that takes place well it's also an opportunity for people to you know i just wrote a book myself called hacking the gap a journey from intuition to innovation and beyond and beautiful and, and what i found is that you know rodney people get into very long stretches of of dry what i call you know, getting in touch with their creativeness. If you really understood what you're saying here and people applied this conditioned, unconditioned concept, the yin, the yang, it would allow you to actually dig really deep to actually turn that button back on again to your creative side. Yes. In essence, this is about becoming totally creative. That's Um, it. That's beautifully said. Yeah, and that's exactly the, the the creativity doesn't come from the conditioned, right? It does because not. that would just be conditioned, right? Yeah. Right. Well, it, it, you, you let's say creativity could come from there, but what I would say is new new ideas, new thoughts, yes. new opportunities, whatever, yes. wherever you want to uh, state that. But this this is a really important thing here uh, for my listeners who are maybe been in a dry spell been a little bit depressed with, you know, their ability to rethink through something. Um, do what Rodney's saying is, you know, look at how you've conditioned and then look at, to, you know, break through all the walls of those conditions and look for the unformed and the unconditioned and the unborn and try and rebirth yourself here because that's what yes. you can do. Now, yes, this yes. third foundation is the way forward. You state yes. that many of us believe that living as a separate entity within the world I always look at some biblical quotes. Do you living in the world or of the world? Okay, yes, that yes, was yes. that was probably one of the best ones Jesus said. <laughs> yeah. Um, with within the world of form, the essential answers to our existence will be disclosed. Answers to our questions, like who we are, 
what life is, where does our happiness lie, and what is our ultimate purpose and meaning? How do you work um, to live in a world where there's no separation and help people realize the oneness of all, which is in essence, I think, look, everybody, if you look at our society today, boy, are we good at compartmentalizing everything and, right. and separating, right. you know, race right. and religion. And um, it, it doesn't matter what it is. It, no. it's, to me, it's a horrible concept because you're never going to overcome our problems until we overcome this world of separation. Yeah, that's right. Exactly. So how do you help yeah. us see this a little bit differently? Well, I think the third foundation is a key to that question. And the third foundation, uh, the Buddha says, uh, whatever the mind is doing, don't contradict it. So if it's angry, it's angry. If it's joyful, it's joyful. If it's distracted, it's distracted. If it's concentrated, it's concentrated. If it's not concentrated, that's okay. If it's concentrated, it's okay. So he's, he's taking the argument, the mental argument that we bicker ourselves with almost constantly. Oh, I should be Mm -hmm. this way. What's the matter with me? That's a terrible thought. He's taking that out of the equation. Well, what he's taken out of the equation is the divided mind, the mind that pits itself against itself. And separation comes in the sense of oneself comes from that bickering, from that conflict. If you take the conflict out of the mind, it unifies. And what the mind sees from unification is a very different world and a connected world than the one in which the bickering and the conflict was generated and continues to generate itself into the world of objects and forms. It's so true, you know, and, and what you've, what you're teaching in this book is a way to help people really through Buddha's teachings as well, and your teachings as a mindfulness and meditation is to bring the world together, uh, yes, not separate. Absolutely. And the heart. it is the heart. It is the yeah. heart. And I think it's that, you know, when you do that, it's really this whole thing of, you know, you talk about form and formless or contraction and expansion. Right. It's really formless and contraction. That's it's occlusion. Right. Um, it's about reaching out to people with compassion. Um, and if there's anything here that the Buddha's teachings are, is it's around compassion. Um, you know, so I, and the more connected we feel, the more compassionate we are. It's not like you have to, to try to make yourself compassionate. You just, when you start perceiving the world differently, uh, from this non-divided state, uh, then compassion arises naturally in accompaniment of that. Yeah, it's a beautiful thing. And I think the thing is, is people have to start seeing that beauty in one another um, versus that repulsion um, of of them having a, um, what do you want to call it? They're they're making a judgment about themselves and a judgment about others. I understand we all make judgments. Even the Dalai Lama says, hey, you know, I've, I've made my, judgments but if you could come from not being so judgmental you might find this world a better place to live yes Um, absolutely yeah and rodney you've done a beautiful job of articulating uh these four foundations i know we didn't get to everything but 
time doesn't allow us, I'm going to invite you back again because this has been a very intriguing dialogue and I think a good one for not only myself, but for the listeners who listen to this podcast. Um, You've got a gentleman here that knows his stuff and certainly loves teaching it. And I can see that in your passion for the way you speak about it. So thank you for being on. Any parting words for our listeners? No, but, you know, to stay within yourself. You know, the spiritual journey is a journey of resonance. And move with your resonance. You're attracted to something. You're curious about something. The interest, those are the ways to move forward, not compelling yourself with a should or I must or I have to. Good, sound, practical Buddha advice. Um, (laughs) Thanks, Rodney, for being on the show. Sure, my pleasure. This podcast is brought to you by Thomas More, the author of a new book entitled Ageless Soul, The Lifelong Journey Toward Meaning and Joy. In podcast number 649, Greg and the author discusses new book which addresses the issues of aging and how to live a fulfilling and meaningful life, even in our later years of life. Ageless Soul teaches readers how to embrace the richness of experience and how to take life on, accept invitations to new vitality, and feel fulfilled as we grow. This book is eloquently written and provides a new perspective on life, no matter what your age. Please enjoy podcast number 649 with author Thomas Moore about Ageless Soul. If you want to learn more about Thomas and his book, please visit www.thomasmoresoul.com. Thank you for listening.